But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honour and might forever. Amen. What is light? I wonder how you'd answer that question. If you're a bit like me, you might find it really hard to answer. For me, it's a bit like the question, what is time? We think we know the answer until someone asks us the question and all of a sudden we have absolutely no idea. I think it's because light is around us all the time and we forget how amazing it is and how difficult it is to get our minds around. What is light? I wonder what comes into your mind when you think about light. How would you describe it? For some of us, we might think of colour or brightness. Maybe you might think of fireworks or maybe a light bulb. For others of us who are maybe more scientific, you might think about heat or energy or wavelengths or maybe even the electromagnetic spectrum, things that are quite simply beyond my comprehension. You see, when you start thinking about light, it's not so easy to define. So what do we do then when we come to passages like this that talk about how God is immortal and how he lives in unapproachable light? Or how about passages like 1 John 1 verse 5, which talks about how God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So what is light and what does it mean for God to be light? This is really important for us to stop and think about. In fact, I think it's probably the most important thing we can actually give our lives to. Because what we think about God inevitably has implications for how we live our lives. So, for example, if you're someone who thinks that God doesn't even exist, then you'll live your life both now and forever separated from him. But if you're someone who believes that God does exist, that he is light, that he is immortal, brilliant, majestic, king of kings and lord of lords, then trust me, you're going to live your life in a very, very different way. Paul, the writer of 1 Timothy, clearly thinks this is really, really important. In fact, we're going to spend most of our time thinking about verse 16, about the fact that God lives in unapproachable light. And in this passage, we see that literally he explodes in spontaneous praise. And there's one other time in 1 Timothy, early on in the letter to 1 Timothy, that he actually explodes in spontaneous praise as well. You'll find it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. And this is just after Paul has basically been meditating on what God has done for him, that God has saved him the worst of all sinners. And then in verse 17 of chapter 1, he literally explodes into these words, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Clearly, because of the attributes of God, he is worthy of our honour and praise. 
And for Paul, as he continually thinks about this and meditates on it, it completely transforms his life, the way he lives, and it's the same for us today. So let's think for a moment about what it means for God to be light and the implications for us today. We're going to unpack three characteristics of things that are both true of light and of God and what difference that makes for us today. And we're going to see two words of application a little bit later on in the message. So firstly, God and light is invisible. Light is invisible. When you look at the electromagnetic spectrum, as I've done recently, you'll see that most of light is completely invisible to us. In fact, only a very small proportion of light is visible to us. This is because often the waves are too long, like radio waves, microwaves, infrared, or the waves are too short, like X-rays, gamma rays, ultraviolet. In fact, you'll see uh, the electromagnetic spectrum on your screen right now, and you'll see that a very, very small percentage of light is actually visible to us. So in one sense, I can't see light at all. I can see the many amazing things in creation. I can see uh, birds and trees and plants and rivers and streams and, and people and, and cities. In fact, one of the things that I really like to do is go cycling in the Kent countryside. And one of the reasons why I love it is because I get to go out into the country and just observe God's creation and see things like butterflies and squirrels and trees and all different types of plants and flowers. It's amazing. So in many ways, I can see all these things, but light itself, I cannot see. Even when I look at a source of light, like a bulb or maybe a, a fire, actually, I don't see the light. I see the coloured filament or flame. So in one sense, light is completely invisible. Because as I say, if, as you look at the electromagnetic spectrum, the only a very small proportion of light is actually visible to us. Most of light is invisible. And so too is God. God is invisible. When talking about God, Paul as we've seen, says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, that he lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. As you hear that, you might be reminded of Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, where God says to Moses, you cannot see my face and live, for man shall not see me and live. You see, God is invisible. I have two kids and recently, over the summer, they found it really, really hard to sleep, partly because of you know, the longer days over the summer and partly because light keeps coming into their, their bedroom. And so me and my wife, Amy, have done everything we can to make their room as dark as possible. So believe me, we've gone to town in getting blackout blinds, thicker curtains, just anything you can imagine to make their room as dark as possible. And so I've found it quite fun, to be honest, to go in their room in the morning and switch the light on and as I switch the light on, both my kids are literally covering their eyes, going, turn it off, turn it off, I can't see, turn it off. Uh, to be honest, I just keep the light on because I think it's funny. But they're literally like covering their faces. I can't see, turn it off, turn it off. They can't look at the, the light, the brilliance, the, the perfection of the light because it's so bright. And the same is with God. God is pure. God is holy. God is literally unapproachable light that if he came into our presence, if we came into his presence, we'd literally be joining my kids and saying, turn it off, turn it off, I can't see. Such is his brilliance. Why can't we see God? Well, we're unable to see God because of the simple reason that God is a spirit living in unapproachable light. He doesn't have a body like you or I. We can't look at God the Father because he's pure and holy. 
And in that sense, God is a bit like the sun. You see, we, we need the sun, for by it we have life. But we can't actually look at the sun because of its brilliance and perfection. So on one hand, both light and God in many ways are invisible and we can't see them. But on the other hand, we can't see anything without light and without God. They are both invisible and illuminating at the same time. The second characteristics I want to look at is illuminating. You see, without being illuminated, objects and colours are completely invisible to you and me. If you've ever been in a really dark room or a dark cupboard, you'll know that to be true. We need light to kind of go onto objects and you know, reflect into our eyes, reflect into our eyes, into the retina of our eyes so that we can see. If you've ever been in a dark room or dark space, you'll know that all you need is like a small bit of light, maybe from a mobile phone. And as soon as that light appears, you're suddenly able to see. You see, even the deepest, darkest place, you can you just produce a little bit of faint of light and you can see. So light, though in many ways invisible, is the source of all visibility. And it's the same with God. In fact, there's a, a mysterious link which connects with the God of the universe whose first words in the Bible are, let there be light, turn on the lights. See, everything that has ever been seen was created by one who has never been seen. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, put it brilliantly when he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Light and God enable us to see. It's only because God created the world that there is anything to see, and only because God created light that there is any way of seeing it. So God and light have similar qualities that are in many ways paradoxical. God and light are everywhere, and at the same time, nowhere, because we can't see them. They illuminate everything, and yet are illuminated by nothing. Foundational for life, and yet somehow indescribable. But let's think for a moment about the contrast. Darkness. Darkness has no existence of its own. Darkness is, is not a thing. Actually, it's the absence of a thing, which literally instantly disappears on the arrival of light. As I mentioned, the deepest, darkest place is powerless against the faintest light. Light always, always wins. You know that darkness in the Bible is a picture of death and judgment, where light is a picture of life and salvation and victory. You see, God is light, and in his presence, darkness dispels. Darkness goes. This helps us when we think about the challenge of the goodness of God and the problem of evil, that whole debate that goes on. And in fact, Andrew Wilson, in his book, God of All Things, addresses this. And he basically says that we often talk about good and evil as opposites, with good pulling one way in this cosmic tug of war, if you like, and evil pulling the other way. And if you've ever watched a tug of war, you'll know there's a little flag in the middle that goes left or right, depending on which side is winning. And we often think about good and evil a bit like that, that it's a big cosmic tug of war. They're pulling in different directions. But the difference between good and evil is not a back and forth struggle like a tug of war between competing opposites. It's more like the difference between light and darkness or, or between being and nothingness. Evil has no existence of its own any more than darkness does. 
It's merely the absence of something good. So when the light of God's goodness shines, there's no struggle, there's no negotiation, there's no discussion to be had. Darkness and evil flees when God's light shines. Death and destruction has been banished by the light of life. I think this also really helps us when we think about fighting sin and the bad habits in our personal lives. That's why Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. I want you to understand that God is light. He has won the victory over all darkness. There's no contest. There's no struggle. When light appears, darkness goes. At home, I have the most amazing hoover. Wherever you are, just put your hand up if you own a hoover. Yeah? Lots of people own a hoover, right? Well, I want to guarantee you today that my hoover is better than yours. All right? I'm going to make that claim. Now, forget about Dyson. It's not a Dyson. My brand of Hoover is Shark. And honestly, this thing is a beast. It is so powerful. You hold it and your arm is like shaking. It's really, really powerful. And on the front of this Hoover, there are some lights. And uh, I want you to know that I do a lot of hoovering at home. So when I'm using my Hoover and I'm hoovering away, the lights at the front come on. And the lights at the front enable me to see the dust. You see, the light exposes where the dust is. And then when I'm hoovering, I just go over the dust and the, and the dust goes. And the very same thing can be said about God. He shines his light into our lives to expose where the dust is. The areas of our lives where we haven't quite surrendered to God. The areas that are covered in darkness. But as we see the light of God, as he shines it into our lives, he frees us from darkness and enables us to live a life full of light. The challenge, I think, for us is that if we're honest, we, we love the darkness. We, we kind of cling on to it. We, we love the dark areas of our lives and we actually fear that they'll be exposed. John 3 verse 19 says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. When I'm hoovering at home, it would be completely ludicrous. Think about this. It would be ludicrous for me to go somewhere with my hoover, see the dust, and then turn around and go somewhere else and just leave the dust. It would be ludicrous. We, we wouldn't do that. As soon as I see the dust, it has to go. I have to go over it. I have to get rid of it. And yet in our lives, we see the dark areas, and rather than getting rid of them, we hang on to them. We hold on to them because we reject the light and we love darkness. I just want to encourage you that as God illuminates the dark areas of your lives, to step out of darkness and come into his light. I have to preach that message to myself all the time. In fact, over the years, I've had to remind myself constantly to say no to ungodliness, to say yes to God time and time again. In those moments where, you know, it's really tempting to, to stay up late at night and maybe watch something that I know I shouldn't. Or those moments where it's really tempting to be harsh to someone. Or those moments where it's really easy to kind of unfairly judge someone else. Or those moments where I can find security in money and my bank balance and not be generous towards other people. In, in all those moments and in many more, I'm having to continue to preach to myself, say no to ungodliness, say no to those things and say yes 
to God, say yes to righteousness. And as soon as God exposes those areas in my life, I'm not always great at it, but I try my best to get rid of the darkness, to get rid of the dust by seeking God, by seeking help from other people and pursuing a life of righteousness. And so I want to encourage you right now, wherever you are, as God exposes those things, as God highlights those things, to to come to God, to seek him for help, and also to seek others who may better help you on that journey, who will encourage you to live a life for God. The final characteristic I want to have a look at today is immortality. That's what we've looked at in verse 16. God, who alone is immortal. God is light. He himself has been around for eternity past and will be around into eternity future. Creation starts with the booming voice of God, let there be light. And throughout the scriptures, we see so many examples of God appearing as light. There's too many to even recount right now, but here are a few examples. Firstly, as probably most of you know, God led Israel out of Egypt in a pillar of fire to light their path. You'll see that in Exodus 13. He also, secondly, God gave Gideon victory over the Midianites using 300 men who in one hand held a trumpet and in the other hand held lamps, held light, and they won the victory even though they only had 300 men. You can read about that in Judges 7. Thirdly, Isaiah, anticipating you know, the coming of Jesus, could say to the people that they're walking in darkness and one day they'll see a great light. You can read that in Isaiah chapter 9. We look at it pretty much every Christmas. And lastly, when Simeon is holding the baby Jesus in his arms, start of the Gospels, he knows he can die a happy man because he's literally looking at and seeing the light that has come into the world. You can read about that in Luke chapter 2. But finally, you know, get this. This is unbelievable. When I read this, it blows my mind. That in the new creation, there's no need for the sun because the new creation will be lit by the glory of God and the radiance of the Lamb. Let me read Revelation chapter 21. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb, Jesus, is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. Isn't that just an amazing picture of the glory of God? That in the new creation, there is no need for the sun or the moon because God gives us light. That is just an amazing picture. It's very difficult to even get our heads around at times. You see, God is light. He is immortal. His light has been around for eternity. It will be around into eternity future. It cannot be broken. He alone is immortal and he's totally different to you and I. One of the things I had to get used to when I moved to London eight years ago now, I've been in London for eight years, been on staff at King's for seven years, but when I moved to London eight years ago, one of the things I had to get used to was the, the slang in South East London. And I used to play for a local football team. And whenever one of the lads was talking about another player, either on our team or one of the opposition, if they were talking about anyone else who was just clearly better than everyone else, who was clearly another level up, you know, clearly better than anyone else, they would, say, they would say this phrase, they would say, man, that guy, he's different. And, and it sounds so cool, doesn't it? That guy, he's different. And, um, you know, I, I had moved from Oxford, I grew up in Brighton, and, and people in those areas, they don't talk like that. If someone's good, they'll say, he's good. If they think he's really good, they'll say, he's really good. But in South East London, it's like, that guy, you know, he's different. You know, it's like saying, Andrew Wilson, 
his teaching is different. You know, it's that kind of language. But let me tell you something. God really is different. He really is different to you and I. He alone is immortal. He has everlasting life in himself. That's not like us. We're mortal beings. We're, we're humans. We were created. We do know that you know, death comes to all of us. And we do know that when we die, it won't actually be the end. We will actually live forever. But the question is where? Where will we be? Will we, will we be in God's glorious new creation? Or will we be separated from God in darkness? You see, there is a sense in which we do live forever. But the question is where? But you see, God, he is different. He's immortal. He's perfect. That's intrinsic to his very being. It's like us searching for and discovering a fountain. And as we drink from the fountain of life, it's only then that we discover that God himself is that very fountain. He himself is immortal and eternal. That's part of his very being. And that's why he's very different to us. And he's worthy of our praise and our honour and our adoration forever and forever. Now, you might be sat there and you might be thinking, so what? So what? God is invisible. He's illuminating. He's immortal. But so what? What difference does that have in my life? Well, here's two points of application. Firstly, sight. Sight. We've seen already that light enables us to see. Without light, we cannot see anything. I'm someone who wears contact lenses. My wife, Amy, wears contact lenses. And when I go into the bathroom in the morning, our contact lenses are basically in a very similar box. They're like, they look the same. And so as you can see, there's often when I go in there and I put on the wrong contact lenses, I put on Amy's contact lenses, and I'm literally, literally stumbling around the bathroom. I, I can't see. It's only until I put the right contact lenses in that I'm able, I'm able to see. And if you're a Christian here today, it's like you've put on the right contact lenses that enable you to see. If you know God to be the light, it changes everything. As we saw in the last series we did, The King and His Kingdom, God turns our lives upside down or the right way up. It literally changes everything. We were once blind and then we could see. If you know Jesus, it's like putting uh, lights on in your brains. It's like the light switch has come on. It's like putting new contact lenses in, in which we see everything with a new perspective. And part of that new perspective is seeing that this world is not all that there is. Another great quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You and I were made for another world. One day Jesus will return and we'll have to give an account for how we've lived. And the most important question will be, do you know the light or did you cling to the darkness? You see, Jesus, the light of the world, died on the cross and rose again so that those of us who are spiritually blind can receive sight. Jesus enables us to see with the right perspective. He forgives us for all our sin and brings us back into a right relationship with God. Have you seen the light? Do you know God? Who knows? Maybe even today you may want to put your trust in God for the very first time. Or maybe you may want to make a recommitment and saying, I'm going to step out of darkness and come into light. Who knows? That could be your step today. We know from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us 
from all unrighteousness. Secondly, service. Jesus, the Son of God, made the invisible God visible. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he also said that Jesus, he is the light of the world. And when Jesus looks at his followers, he says that you too are the light of the world. You know, no one, you know, puts, you know, gets a light, light bulb, puts it under, you know, a table or a chair. No, they put it up on a table so it gives light to the whole world, the whole room. And in the same way, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you are the light of the world. Put it on show. Don't hide your light. Put it on show so the whole world may know that Jesus is the Son of God and come to know him. Can I remind you that you're the light of the world? So rather than living our lives for ourselves, the purposes that we have in our life is to serve God. And that's exactly what the early disciples found. That's what Paul found. Paul was doing pretty well off. He was well-respected, had lots of money. You know, he was doing pretty well. He was living a comfortable life. He met Jesus, was completely blinded, in fact. And then three days later, his sight was restored, his identity changed, and he began living a life for God. In fact, he became a light to the Gentiles so the gospel could go out to the whole earth, so that everyone could know Jesus. Do you know today that you too, if you're a Christian, are the light of the world and you're called to serve God and live for his purposes? Do you know that he uses us to extend the kingdom of God? Do you know that you can be a light in your family, in your workplace, maybe even at the school gates, maybe in your school, maybe in your sports team, maybe in your music group or band? Anywhere you go, you can be the light of the world and help others come to know Jesus. But also you can be used by God to extend his kingdom in the church, the body of Christ, the visible representation of himself in the world. You can be used by God to welcome people who are far from God at the start of a church meeting. You can be used by God to teach the Bible to children and young people. You can be used by God to serve hospitality in in maybe a church building to people who, who just long for connection. You could be used by God by leading a group and help people to connect with one another and to grow in their faith. You could be used by God to be light in the body of Christ, his visible representation here on earth. God can use you. So will you, will I, those of us who have received sight, commit to living our lives for God and his purposes in the world? I think that's really important given the last 18 months we've had. Let's step out of our homes. Let's go into the world. Let's be light. Let's serve him in and out of the church so that others may know him as Lord and as Saviour. God is light. He's invisible. He's illuminating. He's immortal. That's who he is. Think about it. Meditate on it. What difference does it make to your life? He gives us sight and he calls us to his service. Friends, we only have one life to live, so let's live it all for Jesus, the light of the world. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us every time. We thank you that, God, you live in unapproachable light, and yet we're so thankful that you reach out to us and you draw us to yourself. And we pray right now that you pour out your spirit upon us And I pray for those of us who don't yet know you, that they would see you for who you really are. And I pray for us who know you,
that we'd continue to live our lives for you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.